Welcome to Martial Wisdom. Here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. The topic for today's episode is the future of Aikido. Joining me in this discussion is Oliver Martinez. Before we get started, please consider supporting this podcast by liking and sharing it. If you're interested in even more content, please consider subscribing to the Spirit Aikido online program. We currently have more than 235 videos in the program. Another option is to contribute any amount you like through the PayPal tip jar. Even small contributions are greatly appreciated. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, on with the discussion. Welcome back to Modern Aikido's podcast and Martial Wisdom. I have my friend Oliver Martinez coming back for a really great discussion. Uh, and I think this, this hits pretty well in our timeliness of coming in a, in a new year. It's in January of 2022. Uh, turning over a new year is always a good time to take a new look at what you're doing. And, and so I want to welcome Oliver back to the show and we're going to have a great discussion on the future of Aikido. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. This is a a topic I'm real passionate about and and very interested in seeing where uh, the community kind of takes it. So absolutely. You know, and and I think uh, every time I have a discussion with somebody, whether it's online, you know, via written word or, or talk to them face to face, I get so much out of, just new ways of thinking of other people's perspectives and how they look at their art and where they want to take their own martial art, uh, which is all different directions. No one there's, it's almost like there are no two people that are doing exactly the same thing. Uh, but I think starting out would be a good place to kind of take stock of where Aikido was uh, prior to COVID because COVID had a, a huge impact on all martial art training, obviously. And we'll get to kind of what that impact was, but when I look at um, 2019 and 2018, what I got to see, and granted, I don't see the whole the entire Aikido universe or anything, but I did see a number of organizations that started to fracture, some dissolved completely. That leaves dojos suddenly independent, and some searched for other uh, organizations to become affiliated with, some went independent. Um, it seemed like within any community, you often will have these periods where suddenly there's like a a shakeup or a period of time where there's Mm. some instability, whether it's, you know, people don't get along, instructors want to kind of part ways, um, for whatever reason they seem to happen. And, and that seemed to be kind of going on in the, in the several years leading up to 2019. Um, you know, there were some political turmoil within there as well, as I uh, understand, like with, um, I don't know, I don't know if I want to name them, but uh, there's some big organizations, yes. that some, some some pretty decent uh, political problems, let's say, um, and that drove some people out. Uh, some people were thrown out, I guess. Um, it's always kind of ugly to see that sort of thing happening, um, especially for reasons that didn't seem to be totally noble, let's say. Um, but I think also within pre-COVID or prior to COVID, I also noticed that there there did seem to be a good um, developing interest in kind of filling out some of the holes that Aikido training seemed to have. And and it it definitely felt to me like there was a growing frustration with uh, some Aikido practitioners who felt that Aikido's reputation was very poor among the martial arts community and, and even of just observers of martial arts in general and that it should be uh, viewed as a, a legitimate martial art and it kind of needed to prove itself. 
Um, would you what would you say about your how you view? So Josh Gold and Aikido Journal, and I don't recall exactly when he released this data, but it was basically a survey they had done over the demographics in Aikido. And it, I want to say that it was it was pre COVID when he released it. And it was not looking so hot. Uh, the we, practitioners were aging out. The art was essentially aging out. Uh, fewer younger practitioners. Um, the female male split was not near as healthy as it had been in previous years. Um, search results for Aikido were nose diving. So. Um, if you're cynical or, you know, if you're, if you're not prone to like an optimistic uh, outlook, it could have looked very, very dire. Um, and I, I would say that that was right pre COVID that's sort of the state of affairs. Like this is not looking great. The next 10, 15, 20, and certainly 50 years, Aikido, if it didn't do something uh, was going to be in, in real danger. And so in a way that's really discouraging, but uh, you know, at our, at our Academy, you know, we're a small group. You know, we were just kind of chugging along, but, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, you know, I love this art. I've been doing this art for a long time. And it's really kind of a sad uh, spot to see something you love so much in. Um, and again, like, I, I want to say that data was released before COVID. I believe you're right. I, I, would, I, I recall seeing that and it, it was not, it was not after or prior to COVID uh, and the lockdowns and whatnot. Yeah. And again, Josh didn't, didn't present it in such a way that it was like doom and gloom. He just, he did the work, which we all should have done. Or maybe we all knew, which is going like, let's just take a look. Like, let's just see how, how are we doing? Because uh, one of the things I really do love about Josh Gold is he's a data-driven guy. So everything to him is about like, well, instead of just all shouting our opinions, like what is the reality of it? And then once you've identified the reality of it, now we can start to create solutions. So I found it to be kind of a healthy, um, while kind of grim, also healthy for us to look at and go, like, okay, well, there's some problem areas here. Uh, specifically, the, the demographic is narrowing. Um, and that can give you some actionable ways forward. So I, I just, I really, my hat's off to Aikido Journal for, for doing the work. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I also recall uh, the article that he wrote when uh, Josh got together with, I believe it was Jeff Imada with the, some of the knife work where they, mm -hmm. and it, for those who don't know, Jeff Imada is a rather famous, uh, I believe, Filipino martial artist, uh, or specialist in Filipino martial arts, that, which focuses on knife work. And the two got together, they tested out, all right, do, do the defenses that Aikido tends to tends to gravitate to or, or commonly taught do they work with a knife fighter and and it was um you know it was josh's crisis of faith when he realized and found out that the stuff that that aikido was practicing is not effective uh against an active opponent it's more you know what we do is tends to be more choreographed and uh you know that's that was a, another great article. So yeah, Josh is committed. Uh, and that was several years great ago. Great content out for that. Yeah, that was several years ago. And mm -hmm. what I really like about that um, is we're seeing, you know, major, you know, the major Aikido publication start tackling the idea is can Aikido broaden its horizons, you know? And the way he decided to do that was bring in an expert. And what I really liked about that exchange, mm -hmm. uh, it was, 
unbelievably cooperative. Right. It it wasn't like Josh or, or or somebody from Aikido Journal walked into a Filipino martial arts school and goes, "Come on, come stab me. Let me see what I can do." You know. Mm-hmm. Nor was it a Filipino martial artist walking into an Aikido dojo and going like, "Let's see if your Aikido works." Sure. It was a collaboration, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I just I can't say enough about uh, him and his approach of going. Let we can expand this, and there's a healthy way for us to do it. And one of the first ways to do it is you humble yourself and go, um, let's let's reach out to an expert in this field, bring them in, and see what they can bring to the table, so that we all get stronger. And he was doing that several years before COVID hit, um, which, in my opinion, really sets the stage for for what happens in that interim. You know, after right. after the virus hits and doors start closing and things like that, um, I think he in a way made it okay for us to, to do that. You know, and I want to give one more credit to, to Josh and we're throwing a lot of, a lot of light at him, which is cool. Um, he also did, did it in a, I think a, a sensible way as opposed to what we often see on the internet, which is where somebody kind of makes a clown or a buffoon of themselves uh, to try to drive and get clicks and subscriptions and things like that. Um, this is a frustration I often have with, with YouTube, which is, you can either present yourself in a pretty good uh, intellectually uh, sound way, or you can kind of be a clown and mm-hmm. clowns get a lot more clicks than, than sensible people. And sure. so I, I do, I, I like the way that, that uh, Josh put, put forward what he did uh, in a, in a sensible way without looking like a, uh, a you know, a, a jokester or, or yeah, it was almost like academic. academic. Yeah. You know absolutely. what I mean? It, it, in that sense so yeah and and i'm glad that that uh that he he did that and and you know even a number of others that have gone and and said you know hey listen i want to i want to put i want to put my aikido more to a test i want to i want to make sure it's it has integrity uh that it's um not just a cooperative practice um you know and and sadly i think that that a lot of the Aikido that has gotten put up on the internet has even driven the reputation lower and lower. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to a person, there's obviously some exceptions and some that have made some a notable impact on, on the impression of what Aikido really is. Um, and I'll give you know credit to Lenny Sly for, for that. I think he almost single-handedly turned around quite a few opinions about the image of Aikido just from what he offered. Um, and I think that that was, that kind of needed to happen. Some, somebody needed to step up and say, listen, this is not just a purely defensive art. That's about absorbing attacks and, and that's it. And, you know, sadly, some of the content that I've seen goes well down into the hole of ridiculous and stupid, quite frankly, of, you know, some of the, the no touch throws and, and the really fluffy, uh, kind of almost hypnotic nonsense you know that i'm sure makes all of our teeth itch when we see it um but unfortunately youtube is a huge inf- uh, information sharing uh, and i even use it's more of an entertainment sharing platform that if as people put things out it will create you, you will get views you will create image and uh, positive or negative yeah. positive or negative exactly yeah. and you can't control who does create content and who does not the best we can do is make sure that everybody's perspective gets put out and you see 
which ones get uh, drive drive interest and which ones don't. And this is where you know the fact that YouTube is an entertainment platform, really not an education platform. And yeah, it does educate, which I like it for. But I don't click around to the the what is it the Jake Pauls or the yeah the, the PewDiePie's and and all that kind of stuff. I that, that that sort of thing does not interest me very much. Well, and and back to your original kind of frame for you know what was Aikido looking like pre-COVID. I think that's a, a good cross section. We had um, people like Aikido Journal who were trying to look at at it as a whole. See, where, where do we go next? We had people who are doing the same old, same old, you know, Aikido demonstrations and, and, and that kind of thing. We had some people that were making Aikido into a laughing stock, you know, and all those things were happening kind of at the same time, uh, you know, before COVID hit. Uh, so it was really kind of interesting. Your, uh, for those that don't know Tristan's uh, forum that he started, Aikido the Marshall side, I think it was picking up steam you know, kind of around that time. So you would be uh, more knowledgeable than anyone to go, oh, there are, what did that number look like in people who are more interested in that particular expression of Aikido, the, the martial application of Aikido? I mean, you must have seen people over the span of a couple of years or even a year, you know, those numbers kept going up and up and up, right? Yeah, you know, and, and for those who maybe don't remember, uh, it goes back, the reason I set that up was, in one of the discussions uh, when Miles Kessler had his uh, tele, tele summit, uh, Aikido mm -hmm. tele summit, one of the sessions was a debate of is Aikido a martial art or is it not? And he had, I'm trying to remember who the, who the panelists were. Uh, Lenny Sly was one of them. Um, who else was on that? I'm totally blank. And there were, there were th three others. Uh, I believe it was Roy Dean was one of them. Oh, cool. I think. Um, and then I want to say it was Pat Cassidy and then another gentleman, I'm, I'm blanking his name. At any rate, it was your simple debate, two taking the positive and two taking the, the contradictory mm -hmm. side and making arguments both directions. And, and within that live forum, I could see the comments of people that were saying, hey, yes, I want to have my, my art be martial. And within an hour or two hours, I said, you know, those people that want that should have a way to sit and talk and communicate with each other. Because it felt to me like it was those practitioners seem to be in the minority generally. Mm -hmm. um, and they needed a place to connect. I'm like, well, the internet is a perfect place for people to connect up and talk about, you know, how they do, how they make their, their art more martial or, or to get answers for, hey, how do I do this better or anything like that. And mm -hmm. so Yes, when when we started that up, it grew quite quickly. Uh, I was actually surprised at how fast people started, Aikido practitioners and instructors started to come into that forum. And you know, the only downside was most forums on the internet are just garbage in terms of communicating. People posting spam and sure. and it, so we, it took a lot of pruning to kind of all right. What we're here to do is discuss the martial arts, not just do the rah-rah motivational, you know, mm -hmm. quotes all the time and things like that. But the numbers really came in much faster than I thought they would. Uh, and that kind of established to me that there was more of an interest in Aikido being actual valid martial art than I thought there was from mm -hmm. the, the things that I'd seen um, and heard from. And 
and especially from you know all of the, the forums that I'd seen like Bullshido and whatnot, which was huge back in the day that just spent, I mean, Aikido was its favorite whipping boy. Um, you know, and not without good reason with some of the charlatans that were putting up videos of them doing, you know, this mystical nonsense garbage. Um, and so, you know, that, yeah, I saw, I saw that growth and that was happening pre-COVID. Um, you know, it was nice that we got that interest and to have a place where we can have intellectual, sometimes even, uh, you know, controversial discussions about what Aikido is, what it should be, what its history is, uh, challenge some of the beliefs and some of the nonsense, because all of us have been taught, you know, nonsense, uh, cliches, and even things which, you know, history, which is not true or not accurate, mm -hmm. good place to put it to the test, because we have some very experienced uh, people in our forum that that will offer up and say, you know, here, I know a great deal of, it, of history. Uh, Ellis Amder is one of them. And he's got tremendous knowledge of history and, and uh, knowledge which many people don't have. And I your your chat with his books too. With Ellis is after I heard that chat has become uh, required listening for any black belt candidate for me. Mm. Like that's a must to sure. me. That is like one of the best all in one place. Uh, point A to point Z Aikido histories, and I'm sure there's more he didn't tackle i'm sure there's things he you know there's things that maybe we didn't need to know necessarily mm -hmm. but in but it's all in one place yeah. and so yeah i i adore that particular episode i i've i've listened to it and i've told my students like you got you guys have got to listen to this you need to know where you come from and and it's backed up in, in a real academic fashion you know mm -hmm. it's not um a politically motivated history you know right so uh, I, I don't know. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, it was. It is great, and and that's one of the things that does I think plague Aikido a bit is that history has been altered for the sake of politics, mm -hmm. and that can obscure and make finding out the truth and real understanding can make it more difficult. Um, so that's I think that's a good summation of kind of what the impression that at least I have, and I think you have of what Aikido was going through at the time. There were some, you know, organizational turmoils that were going on. You know dojos that split up looking for affiliations and some are just decide to go out at themselves and then and then COVID hit mm -hmm. and the the lockdown thing happened and uh you know I think most dojos and martial arts and gyms and and activity centers almost all over the world pretty much closed down uh and made it very difficult to do you know cross training networking even just training in general but um you know, and some closed permanently. And I think, you know, I'd heard the number that uh, in the first three months, they were speculating like 50% of dojos will close and will probably never reopen. And, you know, I don't know if that actually came to crank came true, but I've heard of a number of dojos that just could not withstand uh, being closed up for months and, and lost their space or, you know, the, their instructors or their staff just lost the wind of trying to trying yeah. to rebuild it. And I, this is the most redundant statement I've probably ever made because your listeners obviously know this, but I, I can't, with the exception of maybe a jujitsu, like Brazilian jujitsu, I can't think of another martial art that is more hampered by not being able to interact uh, with other human beings. So, right. yeah, uh, you know, we got it pretty bad. 
the Aikido community got it pretty bad. Yeah. Um, um, and some dojos are still not able to open up and, but a lot are, which, you know, I think now, and, and when I was competing, I would have this where, where occasionally you'd have something that would happen, an injury or some reason that you couldn't train and go do your thing. And almost every um, combatant or, or fighter that I knew, including myself, would initially think, oh, man, I'm going to be out of practice. I'm going to get rusty. Mm -hmm. This time away is going to hamper my training. It's going to it's going to be an obstacle. And in some ways it is. But once I went through it once and came out of it and went back to my training, I realized it's also an opportunity. And that is it's an opportunity to shed your bad habits. It's an opportunity to take a new look at how you're going to start training again not to just keep up with the same old habits that you were doing, but look at it as what I'm doing the best way to do it. Is there maybe a different or better way to cover the same ground, maybe a little bit more efficiently than I did before. Um, it also makes you take stock again of yourself. When you say like you assume that you're pretty good at something you've always been really good at, you take a break, you come back and then you say, am I really good at this still? <laughs> I, I'm not going to trust that, yeah, I was good at it before and I'm now the way that I was. You have to re-examine yourself. And that is probably one of the healthiest things you can do as a martial artist is to constantly take stock of where you are, not where you think you are, because that's where your ego says, oh, yeah, you're, you're really good. Well, no, maybe you're not. Maybe there's something that you can improve. And uh, if martial arts training is anything, it's, it's, a, it's a constant battle with your own ego to... Yeah, I, mean, I think you're right. Game. I think um, right up until COVID hit, that, that might be a great way to sum up where Aikido was at. It was really us as a whole community battling our ego of what mm -hmm. we thought it should be and what we thought it was and maybe uh, bristling against what it could be. And then all of a sudden your door's shut, you right. know, and, and, what, and then what are you, you know, what do you do? I, I know for us, we were fortunate that, um, you know, in our lineage, we, we do have weapons cars. I mean, they're not near as extensive as some, like an Awama or something like that, but we have them. So we were closed maybe a week, maybe. By that next week, we were up on online classes and we were just like, let's just start with the weapons curriculum. Uh, and as we essentially did weapons curriculum for a year. Uh, and we I borrowed from other places. You know, I looked at the Awama system. I'd done a little bit of Awama, not enough to be really proficient and, and they have an entire separate weapons category you know um but i was able to borrow from them um people were doing some online uh workshops i i saw a wonderful uh, sword workshop by wendy whitehead that she'd presented early on in the um in the pandemic and you know we took that material we used it so it was a lot of aiki taiso and a lot of weapons but the coolest thing about it was it wasn't just our stuff uh it was a really good opportunity to step back and look at what other people were doing and go, I like that. That doesn't quite fit what we're doing, but let's try it. Now, now's a great opportunity to try it. I might not have normally done it, but why not now? No, right? I, I love the way that you describe that it, as that opportunity. And it was an opportunity mm -hmm. for those that would take it. And I can hear the, the argument against doing that because you can hear kind of the, the classic traditional martial artist of that particular strain going, well, if you don't know, you shouldn't be teaching it. You're going out, you're going, you're getting out of your lane. You mm -hmm. don't understand what we would be teaching. And to that person, I would say, don't let the perfect become the enemy of the good. Mm -hmm. 
a martial artist, especially an experienced one, your level and or my level, our level, can start to analyze what other arts are doing, at least try to emulate it and get pretty close and find out and explore and get good value and good uh, innovation from, from what you're doing. They may not get everything, but why bother trying to get nothing by not doing it at all? Like that to me doesn't make any sense. And, you know, it'd be great if we could all get in the same room and, and share those, those little secrets, the minutia that really makes a particular art really super good. But when you're hamstrung by not being able to get together, what is the other option? Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it's funny you say that because uh, I, that was sort of our process is we would take a week where I would go like, okay, I'm looking at the, the, the Kumitachi from uh, that is out there that Saito sensation showed. And I'd go, I'm going to show this to the best of my ability, mimicking what's in the video, you know, and we'd go through, through the whole thing. And then we'd go like, all right, now we're going to do it the way we would do it. And so I was always very clear, like, I'm not an expert at this, but we're going to do our best. But then let's take it and let's put our own spin on it because we're, we're not a WAMA. I'm not certified in that. I couldn't certify you in it. Um, but I do know how we think about things. And that process worked really well where we, we looked at something. We did the best of our ability to emulate what they were doing and then put it in the blender and go like, now what's, what's our version of that, you know? What would Tohei have, what was his version of that, you know, or, or, Hey, look at this kata. It looks almost identical to Tohei's, but it's not identical. So what are the the differences? And it was a really great time to take everything apart, analyze it, and then kind of put it back. And we, we gained a lot of growth over, over that time. And uh, again, I mean, it was, it was horrific. I mean, there was good dojos closing and good instructors who, you know, like you said, they may not be back to teaching yet. But uh, if you could weather it and if you could approach it properly, there's, there was work to be done. You know, there was training to be had. So. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the, the skills that I would work with in, in young fighters is being able to watch a fight and break it down and find out, okay, what is this person doing that's making them successful? Mm-hmm. And not just, oh, they, they landed a hit, but it's how did they do it? How did they set it up? How are they setting up their opponent? How, how is their opponent setting them up? And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's an exchange there and, and I'd have full on sessions where we, I just take somebody and sit them down and say, let's, all right, let's watch these two go at it. Let's, let's watch and learn. And then really that's what is available to us by so many people offering videos of what they're doing. It's not that you need to just look at what they do and copy them, but you look and break down what are the things that they're doing that are making them successful even just to try a different method than, than you do it. And, you know, for this, I think back to the first seminar that I think I ever attended after I started Aikido and it was uh, Yamada sensei. He came out and he taught Mm -hmm. in uh, at the university of Minnesota um, at the the group that's there. And he introduced me to a version of Irimanage that I just, I love. And to this day I'll, I'll do it, which is to drive the hips in to the opponents, to your attackers hips. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he was so powerful with it. I got to take some ukemi from him, but up until that point, and granted, I think I'd only been doing Aikido about a year, year and a half uh, at that point, but I'd feel it. I'd feel the Riminage come in, you know, at the chest level. Mm-hmm. And once I felt how he did it and he not only just used the hips, he accentuated the hips mm-hmm. and you just felt yourself getting thrown sideways by the hip. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, okay, that's pretty cool. 
where I really appreciate it is we had some some bigger students come in that were heavy. I mean, big dudes, and you know, heavier than I was. And if if you didn't use that hip, you had a hard time with them. But if you did, it would it almost worked every single. In fact, I can't even think of a time where it did not work, mm-hmm. except when I didn't put my you know get in the right place. Yeah. To it. Um, but to me, you know, and I, I suppose some purists would say, well, but that's not the way Tohei would do it. Tohei would do it slightly different. It's like, well, I found a way that works for me reliably mm-hmm. and I'll give full credit where I found it, which is, you know, from Yamada. Um, is it Aikido? Of course it's Aikido. It's just mm-hmm. what, which type works well for you. And, and as I taught it, I also found that I got great success with teaching it to people that were much smaller. Mm-hmm. who are dealing with much larger people. This is the same way I did, but I'm 6'4", and I weigh, you know, 190 pounds. But I can teach it to somebody who's five foot three and weighs 115 pounds, and it still works like a charm. So, you know, great value in that. Well, I think that was maybe one of the, the biggest, if you want to call it this, one of the biggest advantages of the pandemic was but pre-pandemic, if you wanted to see someone else's Aikido, you, maybe you could do youtube or a video or something like that mm-hmm. you have to hope they'd come in to your town to do a seminar or you'd have to go to them to do a seminar um but when the pandemic hit i did several workshops that were being hosted online where they'd have like four or five instructors mm-hmm. and so for an afternoon you could see four or five different aikido expressions you know and they did a couple of those you know throughout the year and it was an amazing opportunity to go like, well, that was cool. I didn't quite dig that, but I like how they started that entry. Or um, sometimes it was just a training philosophy. Sometimes it was a training method. Um, but, you know, you just get exposure to a, so much more. And I hope we continue that as things start to level out. I, I hope that we're not afraid to uh, see an instructor that we like, write him and go like, hey, can I do a virtual private with you? You know, can I, I'll, I'll get a new cake. Can you, can you coach us? through some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas before I might've been afraid to do that, mm-hmm. but since we've all been doing it for a year, I'm much less shy about writing people and going like, Hey, would you be cool? Like, just, can we just, can we just do I've, I've had several of these, like, Hey, can we just do virtual coffee? Like I've liked your stuff. I've read your stuff, but I've never been to any workshops. Can we just hang out for 30 minutes online? And a lot of times people go, yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that exchange of information will continue. And uh, we don't just go back to what we were doing before, which is just, we're in our four walls and you know, that's I, it. I hope, so. I hope that's the case too. And in fact, you know, when I, when I link this to, as we start to emerge, dojos start to open up again. Uh, will people go back to their old pattern, which is we do what we do in our dojo. That's all I'm, we're interested in. Um, and maybe this crosses over to the, okay, well, the organization that I was in no longer exists or we've split off. Mm-hmm. And now I kind of miss being part of a larger thing. Maybe I should start, I should find another organization to become part of or, or collaborate with. And I think that one opportunity would be to say, why do I need to be in, a, in an organization with somebody in order to collaborate with them? Like to have mm-hmm. a virtual coffee, like you right. just described. Right. Or mm-hmm. how about we just compare notes? Let's see, you know, how you guys do things and, and, or maybe I've seen something that I've, uh, that you've done that I've, I'm intrigued by, let me go into some detail, like show me how you teach it, describe how you, what the important factors are and to use mediums like we're using right now Mm -hmm. to have less formal collaborations than to say, well, 
I'm, you know, should I leave my organization to go to that other one because I like what those people do? I don't think any of that's necessary. Mm -mm. In fact, I think it almost it gets in the way by saying, well, it's not part of organ our organization. I don't want to, I don't want to taint my Aikido with other people's right. uh, methods, uh, which is very common. And that kind of brings us to our next topic, which is an in a look at innovating a martial art and evolving it versus keeping it quote unquote traditional, mm -hmm. like as though traditional was a snapshot in time that, that, and, and I would say um, Saito sensei was pretty much the poster boy for Aikido should be kept exactly the way that it was when Morihai Ueshiba was alive and it should be taught exactly the way that he taught it permanently. Mm -hmm. And, and to me, I, I have respect for, for that. I have respect for the fact that the Japanese have a very strong um, admiration of that tradition of their seniors. However, it seems to me like it almost creates a martial art museum, which was valid at its time, but as time goes on, it no longer fits in the environment, which which always evolves. It always keeps shifting and 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 uh, growing and changing. What would you? What are your thoughts? So, uh, you know, I haven't, uh, Wama, the Wama system is a really great example of this. I haven't done a ton of it. I, I, I trained Awama in college. Um, there's a, an Awama dojo not far from where I live, and we've gone to do workshops with them before. Really good group. Really great training group. Um, I think they're necessary. I think you have to have somebody who is going to time capsule it because uh, when, when you brought this up and I started thinking about, uh, I, I think you originally proposed this as should Aikido evolve. Mm -hmm. uh, and as I was kind of crunching it around in my brain, I'm like, well, I don't know that you can really avoid it. I, I don't think you can, even on a personal level, like as you get older, you're going to do Aikido differently than you did when you were younger. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we're all getting older, all of our Aikido is going to change. Um, but where your starting point, like, let me put it this way, where your engine for changes is, is going to make a difference. So for example, like you and I, um, well, maybe I'll only speak for myself. I'm very interested in the martial application of Aikido, keeping that alive and exploring it and, and seeing, seeing where that takes me. And because that's my, my engine for innovation, it actually sends me backwards a lot. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? It, it sends me back to old manuals, old writings. Uh, and so to have an Awama to go like, this was straight from the founder and this was his martial application. It's invaluable because you can see it in, in action, you know, and, and you have those things uh, being, being taught on Matt's current day. Um, and so you have that. And then when you add more modern training methods and more modern um, kind of outlooks, then you go, well, this is really not that different from this. You know, it's, it's not different at all. And so I, I think having a group who is trying to preserve as much as possible is invaluable for anyone that wants to go forward because you have some sort of reference point to go back to. I think where we run into trouble is where people, because when people say, well, I want to do Aikido, and I don't know if anyone would ever use these terms, but it's kind of what comes out. I want to do the Aikido like I was taught. Well, when were you taught? Like, so you were taught in 1975. Okay, so that's your Aikido. But that guy was taught in 1983. So that's his Aikido. And this guy was taught in 2000. So that's his Aikido. Like, which one of those is the, is the real one, you know? Right. But what they mean it, what they really mean is, 
the one I do. That's that's the real one. That's right. the one that's like the most pure, the one that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I'm so thankful. Like at your forum, we have so much um, history. Uh, people who are interested in the history because we can go like what you're talking about didn't exist prior to 1970 or whatever. You know, every once in a while we have, you know, people who will say, Hey, look at this uh, writing from, you know, this Daito room manual, like, Hey, we have that and we're still doing it. But without those reference points, people are just swinging, you know, they're just flailing around and it always comes down to, well, the way I do it is the most pure way, which is of course, ridiculous. You know, I mean, as the most ridiculous, but that's what it would devolve into if we didn't have reference points along the way for us to go back and check and go, oh, that's a Tohei thing. Oh, that's a Yoshinkan thing. Oh, that's a Saito Sensei thing. Oh, that's this instructor, but he had a bad back, so we did it that way. But you can only do that if you've got these snapshots kind of carrying you forward. Right. Definitely. You know, and I like going back even farther, going back into Middle Ages, you know, that there's been a great resurgence of, of research uh, that have, that has brought out how Europeans did c- combat in the, in the Middle Ages. And, and I like that because it's, the sad part is it's a, a, an art which has a broken lineage. It does not have a living lineage back to mm-hmm. the Middle Ages. At least that's anywhere near that anybody can find. That makes it difficult, but it also avoids the distortion that happens from the telephone game of having mm. a living lineage. And right. so the living lineage has its own problems. Has its problems, yeah. Has its problems. Um, so like you said, those reference points, if you go back, and as we know, fighting is fighting, combat is combat. Um, you can see those reference points that validate or disprove the theoretical that, you know, we who don't fight for our, for our lives every day, the way that these people in the middle ages did, you know, that, that offers those really great reference points. So, you know, on the forum past couple of months, I posted something from, uh, I think it was an Italian manual and mm-hmm. you guys do an Ikkyo and Shihonage. Yep. And, and then I think you or someone else yep. posted something from a different, you know, man. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> I think you, you posted uh, PRA and I posted Talhofer. That's right. That's right. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without sounding uh, like antagonistic. Or, but the f- it's inevitable that somebody goes, well, there's only so many ways the human body can believe. We know. Like, we know. I understand <laughs> that. Everyone gets that. Yep. I, I, it's not that they're wrong. I, I completely understand that. I agree with it. You know, we only have, you know, so many methods. But when they make that comment, I always feel like, some of the joy of the discovery is kind of like sucked out of the room, you know, like that's cool. Like it's super right. cool. There's this thing on the other side of the world and it looks identical to this thing. That is cool. It is. Yes. We're all human. Well, and those things give a, a great um, beam of light to the people that, that are kind of dojo isolated and they think only we do this. Yeah. Oh, Hey, this is kind of cool. I mean, it was not just, you know, a different, time period but a different side of the world you know whole different culture whole different people they found the same thing they were trying um, to poke each other with stabby things and right and exactly the same things now, came out you know yeah and and the when you look at the and i loved your use of the term those reference points because they really are that there's there's that side where one has to take care of what reference points you go to and, and my favorite of, of, example of this is okinawan kobudo which is mm-hmm. From a period about five, started about 500, four, 600 to 400 years ago, four to 600 years ago. 
and it carried on. And it was when, and I'm sure you know this, but the listener might not, in uh, Okinawa, the Okinawan peasant class was restricted from access to any kind of weaponry. And they did a master class in, in improvised weapons by using farm implements, fishing implements, whatever they could get their hands on. And this created an art. And to their credit, they, effective, they created effective ways to use these farming and fishing implements to protect themselves and to and to fight and to prevail in, in combat. For a snapshot in time, it worked well for them. And today, people don't have access to uh, fish net hooks and, <laughs> and rice flails and uh, you know garden hose, that sort of thing, but they still train in that as a martial art. Now, I'm not picking on any Okinawan Kobudo practitioners, but the idea that you take a snapshot in time, and in this case is, you know, four to 600 years old, and that's your reference point, and you go back to it when it doesn't make sense necessarily to go back to it, when we have free access to things that work and are actually designed to be weapons, mm -hmm. or things that, that work better than garden implements. Right. Um, and so it, it's just one of those, you know, where you choose that, that what is it you're going to going to have? Now, it's curious to me, and I love, basically, I love the concept of improvised weapons because in a survival type situation or self-defense, you might just have something that is never designed to be a weapon at hand. If you can use it, use it. Um, and I think every martial artist or, or self-defense type person would say, absolutely. I don't care if it's a chair, a garbage can, you know, a, a lamp uh, stand or something, use whatever you can, a notebook if it's, if it's rigid and hard or a water bottle. I would think though that if you really took the idea of improvised weaponry as your core value, you'd say, let's look at what we have around us today and let's look at how to train those things as improvised weapons mm -hmm. rather than 500 year old improvised weapons that aren't part of our normal culture. Yeah. And you know, that's, and I guess that's, well, the, that's the whole thing of the innovation versus the uh, traditional argument, which, which yeah. one, is the and at tour, you know, so at our academy, um, so at, at our academy, we teach Aikido, uh, mm -hmm. you know, which is my baby, you know, I love it. Uh, but we also teach uh, karate. Um, Pre-pandemic, we had a dedicated Filipino martial arts and a JKD class. Um, we've, we've scaled back some of that and integrated it into some of our other curriculums. Um, but for a long time, for years and years, we taught staff, uh, Sai, you know, nunchaku, you know, all that stuff. And we let people choose, you know, what they were doing. And we realized like, this is too much. Like we're, we're, we're bouncing all over the place, you oh, know? Yeah. And so what we wound up doing was um, we pared down to a cane, walking cane mm -hmm. and tactical flashlight. So okay. that is our Kobodo. Like oh, that's perfect. our Kobodo. Yeah. You know? that's, that's great. Um, and we found the cane was nice because it, it had most of the attributes that the classical Kobodo did. Mm -hmm. um, and we liked the tactical flashlight just because uh, flashlights were awesome. I mean, this is the best. I mean, it's, and I, I say this all the time, it's the only tool, uh, self-defense tool that we have that increases your awareness. You know, I mean, I can see halfway across the parking lot. Mm -hmm. So, but th that became our Kobodo and it was really just born out of um, necessity. You know, yeah. we were just spreading ourselves thin. Mm -hmm. The problem is we still like that other stuff. 
Oh, you yeah. know, like it's oh, yeah. from a body mechanic standpoint, from a, just a self-actualization standpoint, that other stuff is really fun. It's, it's, um, helps you connect to something, you know, old. Um, so I'm always torn, you know, and, and that's sure. why I say, I think you need to have somebody who's doing the time capsule. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be everybody. Right. But it, it probably shouldn't be nobody. Sure. Um, you, you know, because again, that's a great reference point where you look at a, a, a tonfa and go like, oh, cool. If I had a cane and I, and I'm holding the crook this way, well, it's a similar, it's a similar kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Robert Koga, who's is a wonder. Are you familiar with Koga Sensei? At no, all? I'm not. Okay, I might I might be butchering his bio, but he was one. Of, if I understand correctly, he was the first Japanese American uh, to ever be an LA police officer. Hmm. And so I think he's responsible for the nightstick that's based off the tonfa, because essentially okay. he looked at Kobita weapons and was like, "Hey, we could this would be helpful. Like we could use this." But then he made it out of modern materials. You know, um, and then integrated it into the kit that they were wearing and how you would deploy it. You know, I don't think they're used very much anymore, probably not at all anymore. Because again, we innovate, we innovate, we innovate. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're onto a baton, you know. But what do you look at for the baton training? Well, you look at Filipino martial arts training from 100 years ago or 200 years ago. So I think you have to have those time capsules because they inform the innovation. Um, but I think I'm like you, where I, I tend to want to move forward. I, I just hope not everybody wants to move. I hope some well, people and, still want to make. You know, being maintain. a martial arts geek, I, I think, uh, which I certainly am, I do love studying just about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, like you, have realized there's only so much time you have to really spend on dedicated training. Mm-hmm. And like you, for my, especially for the benefits of my students who don't even train as much as I do because I'm there all the right. time. Being able to pick, all right, what is your top five list? What is your top, you know? highest priority list and then put the fun stuff down a little lower where you mm-hmm. can bring it in but the principles are always the key yeah if you have the principles of the weaponry it doesn't matter whether it's a hoe or a cane or a you know what a have bat. you and that's yeah. that's why i always view myself as a, a principles-based instructor because you know i find that it's easier in this case to teach those principles in terms of the cane the or the walking mm-hmm. stick um in my opinion, that is the most versatile weapon that would be a common everyday item that we could possibly use. Um, you know, it, the, and the principles of you shift to the Joe are very, very similar. Uh, it's not quite okay. as versatile as the, as the, yeah, but you know, it's the principles that are, that are the most important. Um, and that's where I think the people that would say, well, you know, I don't want to lose the tradition. If you keep the principles that the tradition is based on, all you're really doing is adjusting and making your art fit modern times and not right. be an anachronism, not be an antique or a, or a relic. And so then the heart of it, I think, is the heart of, to me, the heart of Aikido, which is the, um, the part that needs to be remain intact, where it doesn't get turned into a combat sport. It doesn't get turned into how do I inflict more pain than, than, any, than the other person? How do I prevail by causing more damage? If, though, if that part remains intact, the rest is just the technical minutia. Right. And, yeah. And, you know, the, the truth is we come, Aikido is an art born of innovation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Absolutely. Ueshiba, uh, innovate. Um, 
your conversation with Ellis, this really solidified for me in a way it hadn't before was uh, Ellis made the distinction that in Daito Ru, the, the technical format was basically you, you lock the guy, you put him down in front of you so you can stomp him and, mm-hmm. you know, stab him or whatever you had to do. And Ueshiba's innovation was he used the projection throws. Mm-hmm. So now, like, Ukeme is born, right? Now you actually have, you're going to get chunked across the room. You need to know how to get back up and, and re-engage. So even as early as 1935, when we see the, uh, uh, the, that newspaper uh, demonstration he's doing, there's innovation. And that, you know, that was 1935, you know? So within the 15, 18 years that he had studied Daito Ru, he had already made technical changes. His weapons work was innovative. Now, people can argue about effectiveness or not effectiveness, but it was not preservation. He looked to the old, but then he was doing his own thing. So Aikido, the whole, and the whole point of Aikido is that whatever's coming at you, you're adapting to. I mean, it's like in the name, right? Like that's what right. you're supposed to do. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. The idea of not innovating is an odd one in, in the Aikido world, if you ask me. I, again, I really do think we need someone to preserve, but not at the expense of innovation. Um, and, and if you have to choose, I mean, if you just, which we don't, but if you had to, Aikido says move forward. Aikido says innovate. Aikido does not say, hold on, you know? Well, if I remember right, the, the, the founder also said something of the Aikido that will be in the future will not even be recognizable by what it is today. It should keep going beyond mm-hmm. where I found it. And, and I'm just grossly paraphrasing here because I don't have sure. it on hand, but that sentiment to me seems pretty clear, whereas a lot of his statements sometimes are obscure and they're kind of difficult to, to grasp. That one does not seem to be difficult Mm-mm. or that it would be somehow have a different meaning in, in its native Japanese than it would right. be uh, translated. Um, and then, therefore I agree with you. And I, I think that the idea that, that, that tradition is held as a limiter is a problem. Um, mm-hmm. And that kind of brings us to the, to the next topic, which uh, I've always had a question. I wondered if Takeda and Daitoru Aiki Jiu-Jitsu would say, that bastard Morahai stole our art. Like yeah. he's stealing, he, you know, he stole our, our techniques and he renamed it and rebranded it and created it into something else. And that brings up the topic of, do you rename the art because it starts to evolve out of that snapshot in time? Mm-hmm. And at this point, I mean, th- that's the tough thing with branding. We've gotten to the point in our in modern lives where nobody dares infringe on the trademark of Disney or McDonald's or right. you know that branding is is so important. But within a martial art, how can any art really claim ownership over techniques, attitudes, principles, even ethics? Mm-hmm. Because none of that nothing that any martial art has is brand new it goes back thousands of years right Mm -hmm. you cannot claim copyright or somehow sort of trademark over a technique or anything that you do with good justification all you can do is say i'm branding this up like the way that i would and an example with that would be uh for those who maybe not heard of this uh bartitsu back in the yeah 
uh, what was that, late 1800s? Late 1800s, like Victorian. Yeah, Victorian times where this guy, Edmund uh, Bartman Wright, I think was his name. And he said, I want to combine an art for modern people at the time. So I'm going to use what everybody has on hand, which is a walking cane or walking stick. We're going to combine jujitsu. We're going to combine sabat. We're going to combine uh, boxing. And we're going to make this, this art. And it got nicknamed into, into Bartitsu. He opened his own dojo. Uh, it kind of fizzled and died out like a lot of arts tend mm -hmm. to do. But I mean, there's still compendiums of material of how of what he assembled from these different various sources um you know i've never heard any controversy about him being blamed for stealing judo or or jujitsu jiu -jitsu or whatever yeah i don't think any of those other arts actually condemned him for it of course that was in the 1800s where you know things were a little bit more laissez-faire than they are now but have we grown into being so sensitive about ownership over something we really can't claim ownership for that branding is that much of an issue you know i, I don't so I know in, at, at a, when I'm on the map, I do my best to give credit to when, when, I'm, when I'm using something to a person, mm -hmm. very rarely to an art. Uh, sometimes, you know, it, as, a, as an aside, like this comes from this instructor who studies this or this guy who did a wama or this guy who does jujitsu or this guy who does uh, on my map. I talk about Guru Dan and Asanto probably as much as I talk about the Osinse, right? Mm -hmm. He's that influential to the way we do our, our Aikido because um, he was that influential to Bill Sosa Sensei, who was my teacher, you know? And so um, rather than give credit to, to arts, because usually it's an art that I'm not ranked in or super well-versed in, I just go, this guy showed me this. And that's about the best that I can do in terms of giving credit to whoever owned it, you know. Sure. Um, I, I Guru Dan does tell this really interesting story about uh, when he would train with um, Bruce Lee and Bruce would be showing him something. Seagun Bruce would be showing him something. And, you know, Guru Dan was just having some trouble with it and couldn't quite get it. And finally, Seagun Bruce would get um, just like frustrated and go like, all right, Dan, I'm going to show you this one more time. And if you get it, it's yours. But if you don't get it, it's still mine. You know, and he would show it to him. And if he got it, he's like, all right, great. It's yours. And they'd move on. If he didn't, he's like, nope, sorry, Dan, still mine. And they'd move on, you know. And that's like the, I've always liked that because there is kind of an ownership to that, you know. But it's a, it's a, a personal ownership. And I know you've seen this in your students too, where you're like, man, she's got a killer sankyo. Like that's that's her sankyo. You know, you've been doing one of her sankyos. You're like, Dude, that guy over there's Ukeme is beautiful, and you're you're doing one of his roles, you know. So there is that kind of ownership on a personal level, mm -hmm. um, but as an entire art, I think you're right. How do you how can you really claim it when? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, you know I, I similar to you, I like to give credit to to other sources because uh, when you don't, you feel like just an egomaniac instructor that just says, "All oh, this is mine. I've collected it." Mm -hmm. It just doesn't show respect to other areas and, and having trained in judo and and other different arts and judo is one of my favorites to say to identify and say you know there's things that judo the art does better than everybody else mm -hmm. and i would say hip throws are right up there because they've specialized they have they have, right? they, have yeah. they have gone to a depth with hip throws that i don't think any other art has gotten to their level of nuance with and that's 
yes, I was taught it by a specific person, but the idea that that these specialists, because they focus in this area, listen to them when they're talking about yeah, that's a good way to look at it. You know, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's probably one of the most clear examples that I can think of. There's many others too. I, I will say one of the reasons I like attributing things to people over arts, um, mm-hmm. and some of it's kind of a selfish reason. Um, and it goes back to your comment earlier about people in the peanut gallery going like, well, you should, you should stay in your lane. You shouldn't be right. teaching. Mm-hmm. It allows me to say like, I am not a judo guy. A judo guy showed me this. Yep. You know what I mean? Exactly. I am not telling you that we're doing judo. I am not saying that I, I'm ready to go do Rondori with a black belt in judo. I'm not saying any of that. I'm mm-hmm. saying this judo guy showed me this thing. I find it personally helpful. Maybe it'll help you too. Yeah. Um, that, to me, that's I the find mature way to, to deal with it. It, it, it. That's really all it is. It's just my yeah. way of managing that because I agree in a lot of ways. Like, um, if we do any ground stuff, I'm always very clear. I'm like, listen, we're going to do this. I'm not a jiu jitsu guy mm-hmm. at all. A jiu jitsu guy showed me this. This is maybe it will be helpful to you, you know, sure, uh, and, sure. and that's just the way so that if someone walks in. We're not going like, well, yeah, we do that, too. That's my least. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Do you remember back in like the 90s and stuff where you drive by like your karate school? But the list would be like, we teach karate, kung fu, judo, jujitsu, aikido, you know, and it'd be all these oh, yeah. things. The you know? laundry and list. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. it's funny. When I uh, was looking at building my own dojo website, I went to look at other dojos and martial arts. Like, what did they put on their website? And. I just had to laugh. Some of them had a laundry list, like three pages long of every qualification that instructor had gotten. And it was, you know, studied at this art, uh, went to this seminar with that person. And, you know, basically it was a pathetic attempt to try to look like a Mr. Big Shot yeah. kind of thing. And, and all these different arts that you Oh, yeah. Did. And every single one of them had Aikido in there somewhere. Yep. Which I thought was kind that? of funny. They meant they did Kodagayashi one time. Right, exactly. <laughs> that is it. So <laughs> I had a I had a school ask me one time to come in and work with one of their um, their third degree black belt candidates. It was this was like it's a hybrid school is what I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I go in there and I spend three four months working with this with this candidate, giving them just like white belt level Aikido stuff, right? You know, just like really introductory, and. Um, they did the test. It was exactly what you think a four-month, once-a-week Aikido student would look like, right? It was just part of their demonstration for the test. But then, you know, I caught up with that school. You know, I just saw an ad for them or something like that. And in their list, they listed Aikido as one of their arts that they did. And I'm like, that's shady, guys. Like, that is I, – I, I was so personally offended because I know – I know exactly what the Aikido was because I, I gave it to them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I don't ever want that. I don't ever want to be like that. I always want to say, like, this is not what I do, but this was helpful to me. Um, but yeah, I, re- I remember back in the day. At, oh, yeah. You know, and all these the different thing, things. So. And this is something that I've wrestled with quite a bit, especially as I started integrating more uh, from other sources to kind of fill the holes that I felt that Aikido had. One of them was being on the ground mm-hmm. and just flat out. You know, Aikido is just as guilty as many other arts of they don't ever train to deal with starting on the ground and getting back to your feet. Um, and, and not without reason. I mean, it's it, that is scary. It takes a lot of energy to learn it. It's it kind of it will scare you. It's, it is a specialty. 
right? Um, it's a special skill. I mean, it's a specialty skill. But, but as, yeah, as, as I started integrating these things, I would ask myself, like, am I going far enough outside of the, the normal boundary to say that I should have a different name or a new name mm-hmm. or, a, or a different brand than, than Aikido? And every time I'd, I'd go through this, and I've spent a lot of time internalizing this, is to say, okay, tell me what does not belong within Aikido. Mm-hmm. the stuff that I was learning was using, you know, good leverage, efficiency, um, all the principles that are for our standing art would apply, you know, when you're on the ground, when you're horizontal rather than vertical. The same thing with the intention. Your intention is to survive without necessarily, without causing any unnecessary harm or injury to your, to the other person. Yes, yeah, so there's you a philosophical see- yeah, you seek, uh, connection you seek there, to right? gain yeah. control and be benevolent with that control mm-hmm. as, as much as possible. Like with, with all those boxes being checked, even though it didn't look like anything that anybody would see in a normal Aikido demonstration, I couldn't yet say what, what's, what that is, is not Aikido. Mm-hmm. It does abide by those principles. And, and if anything, then I reflected and said, well, maybe Aikido needs more of this influence so that it's a more well-rounded art than being a hyper-specialized into throws and wrist locks, which is kind of what Aikido is perceived as being among a lot of lay people. It's like, okay, you guys do great wrist locks, kind of like judo does great hip throws and great ballistic throws. You guys are doing throws and locks, you know, um, to the exclusion of things like kicks, sweeps, um, Mm -hmm. you know, all the other stuff that makes a really well-rounded martial artist. Um, and so I, I think, and I always come back to this, I'll almost once a year or so, or more, even I'll come back to like, does, is the name a detriment? And that's the other thing is whether I believe what I'm doing belongs within the Aikido realm and, and deserves the Aikido label. It's also, how is the, the name Aikido being perceived by people who might be considering coming to my school? has the image of the word Aikido gotten so sullied and and tarnished that people that would normally might like to train what I'm training would just dismiss and say, I just don't feel like getting into that fluffy nonsense of what I've seen on YouTube. And this is, I think, where that, what we were talking about earlier is how Aikido is perceived by how it's, how its image is created. So I, you know, I asked my, I asked Sosa Sensei one time when I was, I was young. I was probably a teenager at one point. Uh, and I said, uh, what style of Aikido do we do? Um, it was my first time I'd started to like, you know, go to libraries or go to books. Very common to, question. You know, um, I didn't know there was other styles, you know, but finally I'm starting to see these books of all these things. And I said, you know, wh- what style of Aikido do we do? And I know you didn't, I know you had never met Sosa Sensei, but you know, he just, he got real serious. Like we do Aikido. And I almost pressed, but it was the tone, it was a sensei tone of like the dad voice done. Like that was it. That was a complete you. That was your lecture for the day. You know, he just says, we do Aikido. And, uh, you know, and thinking of that over the years, uh, you know, Sosa Sensei, we've talked about this before in other podcasts. He, he brought things in from other arts, made them his own. And so to me, it was almost him saying like, if it's done in these four walls, it's Aikido even if it looked like boxing or judo or whatever, um, to him, it was Aikido. That is what he taught. And he didn't teach any particular style. He didn't teach it. There was a lot loaded in that. We, we do Aikido. Like it was a ton. 
it was <laughs> volumes, you know, worth of material there. And uh, I know I think about that a lot. I think about that an awful lot. So part of me thinks I, for me personally, I want to keep the name because he was the most influential person on my martial arts journey. And there's not even a second close, right? Sure. So if nothing else, just to give um, gratitude to where I come from, I'll, I'll still call it Aikido. But from a purely cynical, like uh, branding and marketing thing, if we changed the name of what we did, I, I don't even know what I'd call it, but if I call it, you know, Martinez Doe or whatever, you know, anything that Aikido would have brought, any students or potential students that Aikido would have brought, now that's gone too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, Dan uh, Trelescu, he, he makes this really great point that Aikido is really well primed and we have a good opportunity to serve our community that wants self-defense, but would not be comfortable walking into like an MMA gym or something like that. Right. You know? So right. They, they have they their own image. That's not necessarily positive. That's correct. They have positive traits, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So they go, you know, I wouldn't step into that gym or I won't go to a craft gym because they look like they're, you know, they're all wearing, you know, military gear. But there's something I connect to about this Aikido. Well, if you're an Aikido instructor and you've done your work to, pre- to present a, and not everyone cares about self-defense. I get that. I'm just talking about this in, in my example, um, in my experience. You can provide something to them that they would not get elsewhere. But what brought them in the door was Aikido. Right. You know what I mean? And so we could change it, but we would lose that person. You right. know? Um, so it's like a gamble, right? So maybe we don't have the baggage of Aikido, but we don't have any of the benefits of it. Sure. And when I say Aikido, I mean the name. Yeah. you know yeah, with yeah. it so it's a tough one you know it, it's definitely a something to discuss you know it, it is tough and i think that uh, i guess my last and then maybe this is the icing on the cake thought with the name was i i would like to see the name of aikido redeemed by solid martial artists that are creating skilled students that are competent and capable mm-hmm. not necessarily cage fighters or fighters in general, but those who are effective at, at protecting themselves and have enjoyed success on those times when they've been tested. And I'm not talking tested on the mat, but tested yeah. in real life. And I would feel like I was giving up on a, mm-hmm. on a, on a fantastic art that has kind of lost its way, but could use the attention of being brought back on track and to be mm-hmm. brought back into being very relevant, not just relevant in terms of making people who are kind and, and benign people, but also to have have them be competent and capable to have to control situations and not just run away from them. Right. So you know I 100 percent agree that's that's one of my goals with my students mm-hmm. um, is I want them I want safer humans when they when they leave the dojo than when they came in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a different like goal though, as a, as an Aikido community, I would really like us to be good martial citizens so that when we go out, uh, they look at go like, man, those Aikido people are like good students. Like they're picking up what they've done has given them a really good base to pick up what we're doing, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that, that happens to be, whether it's wrestling or jujitsu or boxing or Krav or, you know, any of that. I would love for us to be able, if we, if we're interested in cross-sharing, or even if we're not, even when we cross paths with another martial artist, they go like, 
man, those guys were super humble. They were open-minded and the, what they were doing gave them a good base to receive what I was offering. And in the, and if in the meantime, they received something too, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's it to me. Like yeah, that would be the description because uh, generally speaking, the Aikido community is not great martial citizens. Like we're, we're just not as a, as a community, but I'm hoping that'll change. I see change uh, yeah. in that happening. Um, and I think if we can do that, the secondary goal of the reputation of Aikido being raised, I think will happen. I, think- I agree with you. In fact, I've, I've heard from people, you know, privately and, and even shared on our forum where they say, you know, we will cross train with this group or that group. And I love hearing, hearing these stories of, you know, we, w- we took our few students and we went over and trained with them and, you know, we had a great time and they said, Hey, you know, you guys are legit. Like this is mm-hmm. what you showed us is, is solid. Yeah those bridges, even though they seem really small at the time, start adding up and creating a different perspective. And, you know, personally, I've run across a number of other instructors of different arts, and a number of them will say the same thing. And and that is, you know, I've seen some stuff out there from Ikea that looks pretty fishy, but I met somebody who knew what he was doing and Mm -hmm. legit like this, they're solid. It's, it's not fluffy. It's not, you know, kind of this nonsensy, silly stuff that you see, you know, in the videos and, and what have you. Uh, and I even had one, one guy that came and, and trained with us at a, at a um, martial arts group who told, told me afterwards, he said, you know, everything I've seen before today of Aikido, I really thought it was not very good. Like it was nonsense, but you've shown me something that I didn't even, I couldn't even comprehend as being i mean he said you're very solid like you know what you're doing and i have a whole new look upon a whole new image of aikido based on what you've done today and that was i felt really cool like i was able to be an ambassador of what i think aikido should be that's the term that's what i want i want good aikido ambassadors right there there it is yeah i i think if you we can do that Mm -hmm. the reputation grows Absolutely. See, and to me, that's that's more Aikido, right? Building bridges, Aikido. Yes. The approach that well, we connection, have, right? Connection, right? Yeah, absolutely. The, the 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 method that we had chosen in previous decades is very an, a very un Aikido thing to do, which is uh uh-uh, uh, right. that's not true. You know what I mean? Yep. And no one's going to respond to that positively. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in my experience, I mean, no nobody's going to look at that and go like, will they have anything to bring to the table? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. I think if, if we can concentrate on that, creating good Aikido ambassadors, we, uh, one of the things I love about the forum is almost everyone that contributes is cross trains. Yes. Which means every one of those people is, an, is a potentially an Aikido ambassador in that gym, in that dojo, mm-hmm. in that, you know, boxing class, in that Krav seminar. And I, I just think that's how you do it. That's how you turn things around. Sure. Yeah. You know, and the, the overall theme of this episode was the future of Aikido. And I, I kind of see it as sort of two different paths. And one of which is you cling to the tradition and just do it the way that it was done. And you just copy and just keep making copy after copy of a copy of a copy. And it starts to distort. And I think, as you just pointed out, that will sort of eventually just die. Mm-hmm. Like it, it won't have enough energy to grow. Whereas what we're talking about is 
having an energetic and innovative sort of direction to go that will sponsor growth. It will sponsor people being excited about, about their training, about growing their art, growing themselves as a, as a person, not growing into a mold that mm-hmm. was made, you know, 50 years ago, but one that is, will fit them. They won't, aren't even in a mold. They're growing organically to where their Aikido fits themselves, their personality, their body, their, their spirit. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's supposed to be Aikido, yeah. right? I mean, that's Aikido is that there isn't, it's meant to be dynamic and, and changing and mm-hmm. uh, it's not meant to be in stone. I, I don't right. think that that was the philosophy that was put forward, you mm-hmm. know? And so. I think the more that it fits the modern environment, the more relevant it will be. And, you know, the idea of dealing in hand-to-hand combat with an armed samurai is just not enough to really engage most people today mm-hmm. to say, yeah, I really want to do that. I mean, yeah, there are some people out there that like the kind of the cosplay version of martial arts training or, you know, people running around doing Jedi stuff and, yeah. and what have you. And all that stuff exists. But um, I think the, 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 the people that will find the most nourishing uh, aspect of Aikido training are going to say, here's how I connected this to me doing well in real life. Mm-hmm. Of, of succeeding not just in, in protecting themselves in a in a fight or in an ambush but using and I, I to me aikido is about strategy i've used the strategy to succeed in my real life when you get a student to to cross that boundary to say wow i use these principles not in hand-to-hand fighting but in how i deal with my boss or how i deal with a conflict with right. my neighbor or my family or something of that nature. And I prevailed, like I created that harmony with them. I've right. taken the conflict and ended it. Like, then you get that, that aspect of, okay, this is a life-changing pursuit and not just, you know, in a kind of a pseudo-religious woo-woo way, but in yeah. a practical, tangible, uh, strate- more strategic way. Well, and, you know, that is one of the advantages. Uh, again, we've kind of talked in the past about how Aikido has gone through a lot of different name changes, but the Aikido, the way, the path part, mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, I think that's probably going to be the thing that's the most interesting to people, you know, is that it, you, you know, you call it a strategy. It is a strategy, but it's kind of a, um, a way of framing the world and framing conflict, uh, you know, and Aikido is still unique that way. It still does it in a way that no other art does and 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 for that that's a great reason to me to hold on to it as an ideal um and i'm never as gratified as when i get the chance to share aikido with like a team like a corporate group or a team building group or i'm going to this church group and i'm showing aikido and they and i'll probably never see them on the mat again but i've done it right i passed that on and hopefully they're going to be able to to go hey i saw this thing or that guy talked about this thing one time you know Mm -hmm. I don't know. To me, that's just like the most gratifying thing as an instructor. So then he can go home and put Aikido on his resume. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I also teach Aikido in corporate. So yeah, <laughs> that's right. Because I learned one thing at this one seminar. Oh, that's classic. So, I know we're getting kind of to the end of our time. I, this whole thing that we're talking about, Ryan, it, it, this pop, this image popped into my head. There is a photograph floating around out there of Osensei and Tohei. Mm-hmm. And it's Osensei seated traditionally the way you know you are used to seeing him and Tohei standing next to him I remember the way Shiba looks exactly like you think you would right in his like samurai garb 
and Tohei is in a modern business suit. Oh, that and one. I'm, yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And to me, I'm like, that's Aikido. Mm-hmm. Like in one picture, that's Aikido. You got this guy going this way. You've got this guy going this way. And you've got, if you can, if you could encapsulate both of those things, you know, looking toward the past, but innovating forward. I'm like, to me, like that's, that's really where we would want to go as an yeah. Aikido practitioner. So. I think so. And I, I think just, I guess here's, here's one, my final thought, and that is, you know, we've talked about the, the tangibilities of innovation versus tradition. The one thing that I do acknowledge is it can be kind of frightening to, to look at tradition and say, maybe I need to try to do this a little better. It almost feels like you're taking that foot and putting it off the ledge and stepping out into, yeah. you know, a, a, a big ravine. Um, but I would say too, that, that if you be careful not to make a, a decision out of your own fear, not to move ahead, or the fact that, you know, somebody might come down on you or, or condemn you or, 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 you know, somehow, you know, make your life hell because you've decided to, to advance. Cause there's a lot of us out here that are happy to support anybody who wants to take a new look at their training, figure out a way to bring something in that's a bit more fresh, a bit more new, innovative to change your mind. Um, and this is something that, that I learned a long time ago is human beings are often frightened of change, especially themselves. But if anything, martial arts training is the practice of changing yourself, of changing your mind. It changes your body. It changes your thinking all for the better. And, and for those people that, that may be hesitant about change, realize this, that if you manage change, it will almost always come out better than you just not doing anything and leaving things the way they are. Uh, you know, if you don't get involved with changing yourself, usually that is the beginning to, of degradation. Like you start to decay. Um, and I think a, a martial art is exactly the same way. But so manage it. Be involved with how it changes, how it evolves. Be attentive to it, you know, and seek out good uh, influences like you talked about, whether it's having, you know, a virtual coffee or pro- some kind of cross-training online, cross-training in person. Um, the more you expand your horizons, the better you you become. And because you're ambassador for the art, the, the better the art. I've got a huge shout out to uh, Brian Bates on the, on the forum. Um, we've been exchanging drills, not a ton, uh, but I, I met him on the forum and, you know, like he does something and sends it to me and goes like, this is what we did. And I teach it. And so Brian is in the UK somewhere, you know, I'm, I'm in Texas. Like that's what we're talking about is having that collaboration that is no longer confined to your city, you know, right. or your dojo. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brian, if you're listening to this, like you're the best man, that's awesome. That's a, that's an awesome thing to, to share your knowledge with somebody you do not know. Um, but know that it makes ripples across the world, you know, on the other side of the world, we all do that. It, it just goes up. Like it just gets better from here. Absolutely. So. And that brings it back to uh, one of Tohei's principles of extend key. You extend, extend key, it. right? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So, yeah. well, thank you, Oliver. I appreciate this. This was a, a fantastic discussion. I really enjoyed this it as always. One. Yeah. Have a good one, man. You too. Take care. Thank you very much for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Stay tuned for more episodes. I've got some great stuff on the way very soon. In the meantime, enjoy your training.